obedient, cause us to be obedient. But really, the work is totally dependent upon Him and what He has planned. People are coming in and they're seeing new life. They're seeing people who've been changed by the gospel. Someone from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation will be at the foot of Jesus. This is, this is living. This is joy. This is satisfaction. This is reward. This is what we were created for. It's what we're wired by God to do. And it's when we do that that, yes, we'll risk certain things in this world, but we'll realize real quickly that the risk is far outweighed by the reward.
Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is amazing love that you would take my welcome today. Delighted that you all braved the roads and, uh, and decided to come to church today. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you enjoyed the snow yesterday. Didn't make any inadvertent snow angels. You know what that is, right? That's when you, that's when you fall and can't get up and you make an inadvertent snow angel. Uh, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed the day yesterday and, uh, and uh, we're glad to be able to come together today and worship our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. If you're a guest today, know we're delighted you're worshiping with us. Hope you'll tear off the side of your bulletin, fill that out, drop it in the offering plate or give it to a staff member as you leave here this morning. Right now we're going to take a moment to greet each other. So if you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning and we'll continue worshiping together here in just a moment. You may be seated. Last week, we collectively shared the thrill of hope that the coming Messiah brings. Hope looks to the future, not with gloom, but with great expectancy. Hope for tomorrow, whatever that may be must certainly include peace. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, 
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The peace of Jesus, a simple expression, but a weighty concept. Peace or shalom is not the absence of conflict. In fact, it has very little to do with conflict. Rather, it is a condition of having been made whole or complete. Shalom is putting everything in its rightful place. It's the restoration of the world as God intended. So for that to happen, for you and I to experience peace, justice must prevail. And so this baby boy of Joseph and Mary would be the same man about whom the Apostle Paul writes. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Today, as we light the candle of peace, we do so knowing that peace has not yet come to every heart. May we pray, may we give, may we go and proclaim the gospel of peace until every tongue, tribe, and nation knows that peace on earth and mercy mild and God and sinners reconcile. You'll please stand again with us. Oh 
Join me up front, please. Let's see what I've got here. You guys are all sitting up here where you can see in the bag. So I want to pull it out here one at a time, so I don't want anybody to know. I want you guys to know, though, I like superheroes. Anybody else like superheroes? No? Thank you, Rick. Uh, 
I like superheroes. Let's see if you guys know these superheroes and know what their know what their power is. Who's this guy? Hulk. What's his power? Smash, right? Hulk smash, right? That's what he does. He smashes things. He turns into this big green guy, and he smashes things, right? So that's Hulk. Let's see who else is in here. Let's see. Who's this? Spider-Man. What's his What's his superpower? He can He can squirt webs at you. He can make webs. Does he have uh, Spidey sense? Right where he uh, Where he knows something's up. How do How do he become Spider-Man? He, he got bit by a spider. That's right. He got bit by you. You're gonna be Spider-Man. Let's see who else is in here. Let's see. Let's see. I like this guy. I like this guy. Iron Man. What's Iron Man's superpower? <laughs> he's rich and he's he's rich and he's he's smart. You're gonna be a cat. Well, let's be a superhero right now. You want to be a cat? Okay, you can be a cat. So, Iron Man's superpower is he's he's got lots of money and he's really smart. And so he built him a suit of armor, right, that can fly and do all kinds of cool stuff like that. Let's see. You're a birdie, too? All right, who's this guy? Thor, what's his superpower? Uh, he's got that hammer right there, right? He's got, you play video games? He's got this hammer right here that makes him really, really, really special. I got one more superhero in here. Let's see, who is this? He is my all-time favorite, right? Captain America is my all-time favorite. And you know what Captain America has that the other guys don't have? He's got a shield. So here's the thing about Captain America's shield. If, if I'm in trouble, guess what? I can't be as strong as Hulk. I can't shoot webs like Spider-Man. I can't pick up Thor's, I can't pick up Thor's hammer. And I'm not smart like Tony Stark to know how to work his suit. But if I'm in trouble, you know what? I could pick up Captain America's shield, and I could use his shield to protect myself if it were real. It's all make-believe. But you know what? The Bible gives us, the Bible talks about a shield that is not make-believe. The Bible talks about a shield in Ephesians chapter 6 called the shield of faith. And that's a shield that's available to all of us. And the Bible tells us that the shield of faith is something we can use to protect ourselves when the devil wants to, wants to do things to us. And so we can trust God and believe that God is, has got our best interest in mind. And when the, the devil wants to, wants to mess with us, and the Bible uses, says he wants to fire darts at us, not like Nerf gun darts, but like fiery darts, that we can use the shield of faith, believing and trusting God, to protect ourselves against the enemy. Let's pray together. God, thank you for these boys and girls and all their energy, Lord. Thank you for uh, uh, the shield of faith that's available to all of us, Lord, to help uh, fight off the attacks of our enemy, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. How still we see thee fly Above thy deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by Yet in the dark street shineth The everlasting light The hopes and fears of all the years Are met in thee tonight 
For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Please remain standing as we share God's word together this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. We will be in verse 16, but I will read verse 10 through 16 for us this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it instructs us and teaches us, Lord. Thank you for the shield of faith that we are instructed to wear. Uh, Father, to protect us against the enemy's attacks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We are getting close to the end of Ephesians, beginning after the first of the year. We will move to the Old Testament for our next, uh, for our next series, and I'll be in the book of Jeremiah beginning in the, uh, beginning in the new year. So if you want to read ahead, I uh, would encourage you to go ahead and, and get ready. We're, it won't be as detailed as Ephesians has been because it's a little more of a, there's, there's a lot of content there that is uh, somewhat repetitious, but, uh, but we're going to cover the, the book of Jeremiah as much as we physically can, can do. It's, uh, it's one of the longest books, if not the longest book in the Old Testament, and so, uh, so it, will, uh, it will take us a little while, but um, what we find is that many of the circumstances that the people of Israel were dealing with in their day uh, certainly do line up with many of the things that we are facing today. And so, uh, so we trust God to do some great things as we walk through this Old Testament prophetic book together. 
Over the last few weeks, though, we've been talking about the armor of God, and, and I, I want to try to recap because it's important that we keep this, this, the continuity of this text before us, and we've talked about the fact that the battle that we are facing is a real battle. We've also said that the strength that we have is very limited, but we don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the strength of the Lord. And so as a result, God doesn't send us into this battle ill-equipped or ill-prepared. Instead, he sends us with armor that's readily available for us to put on. And it's a choice that we make to put this armor on. And so the foundational piece of this armor is the belt of truth. It's that thing that binds it all together. If we don't have truth, then we don't have any armor to put on. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, which covers the vital organs of the chest. But it's not self-righteousness, it's God's righteousness that's imputed to us through Jesus. And then last week we talked about the shoes of readiness that are made ready by the gospel of peace, how the shoes of readiness both call us to stand firm, but also compel us to go forward. And next we follow Paul's next instruction, which tells us to, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Now, sometimes we think about this shield like maybe Captain America's shield, like a little round disc that, that's useful in hand-to-hand combat, you know, one shield up and a strike with a sword and this, this ongoing battle between, between the left hand with the shield and the right hand with the sword, unless you're the other way around, which you probably were an archer if you were uh, left-handed, uh, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know. But... Um, the fact of the matter is, is that, is that that's really not what the shield was. The Roman shield is something called a, a scutum, a scutum, and it's a, it's a large thing. Uh, it's, it's big enough to, to stand behind. The goal for the Roman shield was, was to protect you from, from the enemy. The, the, the goal of the shield was to, for you to be able to stand behind so that when the archers were shooting at you, you had something in front of you. If you only had a little round disc, well, that's called a, a, a target, right? But if you've got something that you can stand behind that protects you from top to bottom, then you have something to guard against when it comes to the archers. Now, the scutum would frequently be covered with some sort of animal skin, and then they would, before battle, would douse that animal skin with water because as they got closer to the, the, the battle line, the archers, well, the archers would frequently change their tactics, and they would set their arrows ablaze because if you've got a wooden shield and an arrow that is on fire, well, you can imagine that that's a fairly effective way to get rid of the wooden shield because the soldier's not going to hold it as it's burning in his hand. However, they found a solution, which was to cover the shield in in some sort of leather, some sort of hide. They would soak it in water so that when the arrow hit the shield, the fire was extinguished. The reality is, is that archers were, were some of the most dangerous soldiers in the battlefield because they had, they had distance. They could reach out and touch you from a long ways away. Whereas infantrymen would, would have to be in hand-to-hand combat, an archer in the Roman Empire with the very best bow available to him was capable of launching an arrow around 700 feet. And so if you can imagine two armies that are coming towards one another, you've seen these things demonstrated in movies and stuff. And I, I mean, I know it's sensationalized, but you get a picture of what these, these wars were like. You can imagine these two armies coming close together. And once that approaching army got within that zone of 700 feet or closer, well, that's when they would call for the archers, right? Archers! And then you would see 
see, archers weren't snipers. Sometimes we think that, that an archer, like a, we think of archery today, if I'm out in my deer stand looking for, a, looking for an animal to shoot, well, I'm not just firing it up over the, you know, hoping it lands and hits something. I'm, I've got my scope and I've zeroed in on, on, the, on the deer that I'm about to shoot or whatever. Well, that's not how the archers worked in that day. Instead, what archers were trying to do was to launch as many arrows as possible in a short amount of time so that the approaching infantry would be confronted with this literal hailstorm of arrows raining down on their position. Now, battles wouldn't be won with the archers, but that line sure got softened up when they got into the the range of the archers. So the shield provided the best protection against the archer. The shield gave the infantryman something to stand behind so that when the arrows would come, he would be able to, uh, to ward off that attack. Now, obviously, somebody could go to battle without a shield. I mean, that, that certainly could happen. But as we've talked about with the other pieces of the, of the armor, going into battle without this piece of the armor would not be a very wise move. The likelihood is that if you were to make such a foolish effort, you might make it to the battle, but you'd probably never really have a chance to engage the enemy. Once you got within about 200 yards of the enemy line, you would be met with this volley after volley after volley of arrows, specifically chosen based on the kind of armor that you were wearing or were not wearing. If you chose to go to battle without wearing armor, as many uh, of the European tri- the northern European tribes would do, the archers would have broadhead arrows, which if you know anything about hunting, you know what kind of damage a broadhead arrow can do to whatever it hits. However, those arrows weren't often very effective against heavily armored troops. If you were heavily armored, you could count on being rained down from heaven a, a, a volley after volley after volley of narrow uh, type of arrows that were designed to penetrate your armor. While it may not do the damage that a broadhead would do, I suspect that if I had an arrow in between the chink of my armor, that it would certainly slow down my advance on the enemy. Um, And just for kicks, if you got close enough to the infantry, you might find that you've been shot and set ablaze by an arrow that's been set on fire. The reality is, is that if you go to battle without a shield, an infantryman wouldn't get within 100 yards of the battle. In the same way that you'd never go to battle without your belt, your breastplate, you'd never go to battle without your shoes, the wise soldier would never face off the archers of an enemy without a good, sturdy shield to fight behind. So, you're probably asking yourself, self, what does faith have to do with a shield? What does faith have to do with your sh- with a shield? Now, I'm glad you asked that question. Because before we can answer that question, we really need to understand what faith really is. You ever notice how we use that word in so many different ways? One of the ways that we use the word faith is, is to define any kind of belief structure that helps people answer the big questions of their life to give themselves a purpose. Those questions like, who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? Everybody asks those questions. 
It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or Muslim or atheist. It doesn't matter. Everybody asks those questions. Who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? What's my purpose? I promise you that you run into anyone, you, a stranger on the street, these are questions that they have at some point in time sought. They've asked this question of themselves, as you certainly have. Now, we in the Christian faith, we have answers to these questions because God has given them to us. Who are we? Where are we going? How did we get here? What is our purpose? Well, we all know the answers to those questions because God has answered them for us. So we use the word faith to describe everything from atheism to Anglicanism. All that's described as as a faith. We use the word faith to describe our commitment to keep our word, right? Right? Uh, maybe you're getting a, an, a, an estimate on a car repair or some repair at your home. You go to a repairman or someone comes to your home to, to give you a bid on a repair. That bid is considered a good faith estimate. What does that mean? Well, that means that both parties involved are agreeing with one another. They're exercising good faith in one another that they're going to keep their end of the obligation. You expect the repairman to do his job, and the repairman expects you to pay the bill, right? It's a good faith estimate. But that's not how Paul is using the word. That's not how Paul is using the word here. So how does the Bible define faith? That would be a great place for us to turn to. And the reality is, is we could spend a lot of time dissecting the word faith in the Bible. For instance, in the New Testament, the word faith appears in 226 verses. And so we're going to work through each of those verses in the next two hours that we have together. So I hope you brought crackers, right? Um, it appears in 226 verses, and it's used in very different ways. For instance, we see the word used to describe very concrete things. Belief that, that in healing and provision and protection and those sort of concrete, tangible things. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, it describes a woman who had a bleeding condition. She believed, her faith was, that if she could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, she would be healed, Right? It was a faith and a very tangible thing. She believed in, in, in healing. She certainly believed it. And she got through that crowd, and she grabbed hold of Jesus' garment. And I love the picture. Jesus says, who just touched me? And the disciple said, Jesus, everybody's touching you, right? You're in a crowd. There are people pressing in against you. And he says, no, I know that somebody touched me because I, he says, I felt power leave, right? And he turns and he sees the woman. The woman is, is petrified because she was prepared to go in, touch the robe, and get out. She didn't want to have to, have to uh, deal with the interaction that takes place. And Jesus talks to the woman, and the last thing he says to the woman is what? Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. It was a very tangible, tangible thing. The woman had very clear belief that Jesus could heal her if she simply touched his garment. Another great example in Luke chapter 7, you find a centurion who had a sick servant. He sought out Jesus, hoping that Jesus could heal the man. And when Jesus interacts with the centurion, the centurion responds to Jesus in such an incredibly humble way. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I didn't presume to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And guess what? Jesus, here's the centurion talk. Jesus was marveling at the man. Wow, to have Jesus marvel at you because of your faith. 
And Jesus turned to the crowd, looked at the, the, the centurion and said, I tell you, even in Israel have I not found such faith. And so the centurion had a very tangible belief that Jesus was capable of healing his servant. Jesus didn't even need to come to the house to make it happen. And Jesus, again, highlights this man as as a man of great faith because he believes that Jesus can do this. It's very tangible sort of things. But we also see the word faith used to describe things that are very sort of vague, perhaps less tangible. Paul concludes his letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, with with a vague use of the word faith. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Well, that's a, that's a less tangible use of the word, right? It's not faith in healing, faith in provision, faith in protection. It's, it's, a very, it's, a, it's a more vague use of the word. So we see this over and over again where faith kind of points to different sorts of things. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews gets as close to an actual definition, though, as any other biblical writer. How do we know? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it begins with, now faith is. Okay? This is where a definition would follow, right? Now faith is. Well, thank you, writer of Hebrews, for giving us a definition. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? The assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Well, sometimes even to simplify things, you know, to take it down one more level, I, I like what Tony Evans says. Tony Evans, uh, in, a, in a book that he published about raising kingdom kids, he described faith simply like this. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith is an action done in response to God's viewpoint on a matter. In other words, what does God think about something? How do you respond based on what God thinks about something? He says that's what faith actually is. He goes on to explain faith isn't a feeling. It's not a supernatural force to get God to give us what we desire. If faith isn't tied to God's truth, it accomplishes nothing. Faith, he says, is only as strong as the thing to which it is anchored. Indeed, a person might be full of faith even if he doesn't feel it. She might be willing to act in faith, to do things like love an enemy, to protect the weak, to respect a grumpy teacher, simply because she believes that's what God says and it's true. Even if her emotions and her reasoning do not compel the action, faith means acting on what God says in spite of our opinions, our experiences, our education. Faith is acting on the truth whether we feel the truth or not, whether we like the truth or not, whether we agree with the truth or not. That's what faith is. I like that explanation. I like that definition. So when we think about standing firm in the battle, the shield of faith, think of it this way. The shield of faith becomes the thing through which we see every other dynamic of the battle that we are fighting. In our day, we've, we've come to use this word more and more, and that word is, is worldview. 
Now, everybody's got a worldview. What's a worldview? How you see the world. How you interact with the world. How you form your opinions on what's going on in the world. Everyone has a worldview. Now, some people see the world through secular lenses. And they have secular ideas to explain everything. Why, why are you here? Well, because a long, long time ago, something was created out of nothing and, and things continued to change over the course of billions and billions and billions of years and you're here as a result. And some people use that to explain why we are what we are. Tell me that doesn't require faith to believe that, okay? Some people use that. That's the lens through which they see things. But as those of us who love and worship and serve Jesus, we are required to look at the world very differently. The lens that we look through is not a secular lens, not something informed by other people's opinions, other people's ideas, other people's experiences. The lens that we look through is the lens of faith that's been informed by truth. That's the lens that we use. And therefore, the Apostle Paul tells us to take this shield with us in every situation. He says, so in every circumstance. So think of it this way. If faith is how we react to something based on what God thinks about that, then there's never a time, there is never a time that we do not need to engage that something apart from faith. If faith is the means by which we evaluate the world, the opinions of the world, the thoughts of the world, the actions of the world, if faith is the means by which we evaluate everything in our life, then there's never a time that we should engage the world apart from that faith. There's never a time. And so when the apostle says, in every circumstance, take the shield of faith, he is saying that in your daily life, in all of your interactions, you need to do, conduct your interactions through the lens of faith. How do I respond to this situation? Well, what does God say about this? I've got someone that I'm angry at. They're my enemy. How do I respond to that enemy through faith? Well, Jesus had some words about that, right? How many times do we forgive them? Does it take faith to forgive your enemies? You better believe it. You better believe it. It doesn't come easy. You see, faith is what compels us to look at every situation and to attempt to see them as God sees them. But here's the danger. You know how an archer, as I said earlier, changes his ammunition based on the circumstances that are taking place on the battlefield? That if I'm facing a, a soldier with no armor, then I'm going to shoot a broadhead. If I'm facing a well-armored soldier, then I'm going to shoot a narrow arrow that can get in between the armor. Uh, if I'm up against somebody with wooden shields with no, nothing to protect it, I'm going to use that fiery arrow to burn that shield up. Understand this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that our enemy has a one-sized-fits-all arrow that he's shooting. He understands us well. He knows our nature. He knows our character. He knows those things that challenge us and cause us to stumble. For some in the room, the arrow that Satan is using is pornography. It's a custom arrow that gets right to your heart every single time it's shot. For some in the room, the arrow is related to money. 
maybe greed, maybe other, other sorts of, of sins of excess. And you may not struggle with, with lust of the flesh, but when it comes to lust of the wallet, Satan's got a custom-sized arrow just for you. For some over here in this, room, in this section, the arrow may be gossip or a loose tongue. For someone over here, it may be a, a lack of forgiveness. For someone in the room, it may be a hot temper that flies off too quickly. For some in the room, the arrow is a shaky marriage that's always on loose footing. For someone in the room, the arrow may be laziness. For some in the room, the arrow is gluttony or addiction. The fact of the matter is, is that there's a custom arrow that's aimed straight at you and is guaranteed to hit you in the spot that you're the weakest weakest. Why? Because our enemy knows us well. Our enemy knows us well. And he set those arrows ablaze, and he's got his bow drawn back, and he's aiming at your heart. He's aiming at your heart. So in every situation, in every circumstance, take up the shield of faith. Because every single one of those arrows is deflected when we consider the matters as God considers them. Every single one of those arrows is deflected when we look at it from God's perspective and act accordingly. Brothers and sisters, today if you are struggling with something, I promise you that there is a white, hot, fiery arrow burning in your soul. But if you will consider the struggle from God's perspective, you will consider the struggle as God considers it, you will be well on your way to deflecting that arrow, to dousing it, and removing it from your life. For some of you in the room today, the arrow is unbelief you're not even at the place of dealing with the other things yet because the arrow that God's, or that Satan has put into your life is the arrow of unbelief. You're filled with doubts and unanswered questions. You wonder if Jesus really and truly able to save you. You question whether or not all this is actually true at all. Well, the only way you can confront that arrow is by taking on the shield of faith and recognizing that God is absolutely trustworthy. We call that saving faith when we come to the place of recognizing that God has identified us as sinners as we correctly as 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 we are and tells us that there is a savior whose name is Jesus who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might be declared righteous through his blood. There there is faith that's required to to, to act on that. It takes faith to to say yes, I'm a sinner and Jesus is an all-sufficient savior for me. It requires faith. For, for it is by grace you were saved through faith. Saving faith is necessary. And so you, you take up the shield of faith. The first arrow you have to douse is the arrow of unbelief. But here's the thing. Even if you don't always feel like you can trust it, even if you, your experience suggests otherwise, here's the reality. Faith is acting in accordance with what God thinks about something. And so when it comes to the direction of your soul, faith requires action, acting in accordance with what God has said about you. Even if you don't feel it, even if your experience suggests otherwise, understand this, God 
doesn't break his promises, and he always keeps his word. Today, it may be time for somebody in the room, once and for all, to extinguish the arrow of unbelief and put your faith completely in Jesus to save you once and for all. There's one other piece of this that when I ran across it, it absolutely blew my mind. Um, I, I, I distinctly remember, I don't remember which movie it was, but I, and I looked for it, I couldn't find it. But there's a movie where the, the Romans are going up against some, some enemy horde, and there's a point in time in the movie during this battle um, that takes place where the, where the commander of the, of the military calls out this Latin word. And I didn't realize what he said when I first saw the movie until I ran across this word in preparing. And the word was testudo. Testudo, which I believe in Latin means tortoise. One of the benefits of a Roman shield is the ability for a legion of Roman centurions to take their shields and to create the the first century equivalent of an armored personnel carrier, right? Now, what is this? This is a group of maybe maybe a hundred guys marching in formation who have done something incredible. They've all taken their individual shield and they have put it strategically in place so that this group of men, this group of infantrymen, are able to advance completely at the enemy without worrying about the archers coming from above, without the, you know, those archers lob that arrow up so that it falls straight down. Well, guess what? they got a roof over their heads. Nobody's going to shoot them straight ahead because unless he's a killer shot, you got to get through that little hole up there that they're looking at. And so the, the Roman legion had this incredible ability with these shields to move remarkably close to the enemy. Even to a fortified city, even to a wall, they were able to move up. So, so even if the enemy began to throw rocks over the wall and things like that, they were protected because of their shield. Now, I know that Paul has been watching Roman centurions. I know for a fact that he's in jail as he writes the letter to the Ephesians. And so it's not beyond the realm of, of possibility here that when Paul is thinking about the shield of faith, that he's also got in his mind the fact that with that shield of faith, listen to me, there's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. I'm going to tell you, if I've got to go charge a city, if I've got to go battle an enemy, I'm going to feel a lot better going to charge that enemy with my brothers in arms. I'm going to feel a lot better knowing that the guy behind me has got my back and my head. I'm going to feel good knowing that the guy in front of me has got his shield and he is advancing and that there's not an arrow that the enemy can fire that's going to cause him to fall. And that as a collective, all using our shields in the right way, we're able to take the enemy on and there's not an arrow he can fire that's going to hurt us. I think you can maybe see where I'm going here. Because collectively, as the body of Christ, we're called to take up our shield of faith. And I'd like to think that as the church, that we put our shields like this. That, that 
I may be able to guard this way, but I'm going to count on you to guard this way. I I may be able to guard this way, but I'm going to count on you to guard this way. And together, we are able to accomplish much in the battle because we're all working together in the testudo formation, taking on the enemy all together as one. Some of you in the room here today, you, you go to work with your shield of faith, but you don't, you're not part of the church. You may join us for worship, but you have never really taken the steps to, to become part of the body. You stand with your shield, and you're, you're, you, you stand proudly with your shield. You've got the emblem painted on the front. Everyone knows whose army you fight for. But I want to challenge you today that maybe for some, it's time for the next step of not just standing with your shield in front, but letting your brothers and sisters come alongside of you and put their shield on the top and someone else's shield to the side so that together we're able to advance against the enemy knowing that there's not an arrow he owns that can touch any of us because we work together with our shields of faith. Do you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for the shield of faith. Thank you for the call to live by faith. And Lord, that in every circumstance, in every situation, we approach the situation by faith, which is not what we think about it, but what you think about it. Because God, I know that the way I think about things is not often the way that you think about things. Lord, because I know where I fail and and I'm reminded that I mess up regularly. I get angry about things I shouldn't get angry about. I am tempted in ways that I shouldn't be tempted. There are things that, that I struggle with as every single man and woman in the room struggles with. Lord, but if I will walk by faith where I consider the circumstances as you consider them and then I act accordingly. God, there's not an arrow in Satan's quiver that can penetrate my armor. God, I know that there are some in the room today that the arrow that has penetrated their armor is the arrow of disbelief and unbelief. And for whatever reason, they refuse to, by faith, let that arrow be taken out of their heart. And so they continue to live in unbelief. But God, the shield of faith promises that if we will act in accordance with what you have said and with what you think, that that we can extinguish that fiery dart that's been shot at us. And so Lord, you have made it clear who we are, what our sin is, what you think about us. And you have made clear to us the offer of salvation through Jesus. And so by faith, if we are to act by faith, we are to respond in accordance with what you have said. And for some, that response is to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive the offer of salvation that's been extended to them. God, do not let them leave today without taking action to respond in faith. God, others in the room, we've got other arrows that have found their way in pertaining to our families and the things that we look at when no one's watching, the, the 
the things that drive us and compel us, and there's an arrow that's worked its way in the chink in our armor. And so, God, by faith, we need to act to extinguish that arrow. God, that we would recognize what you think about our lives, our situations, our sins, and we would act in accordance with what you think. That's what faith challenges us to do. So, Father, I pray that today that there might in the air be a spiritual smell of fires being extinguished. Like the smell of a campfire that's been had water poured on it. That we might just sense that there are those in the room today who by faith have finally put out the fiery arrow that's been stuck in their heart. It's not just about what we think. It's about what we do. And so, God, may you call us to act today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to respond in faith to your disbelief, that you would recognize the disbelief for what it is and that you would act in accordance with with what God has said about that. He wants to save you and deliver you from that. Maybe you're here and there's other arrows that Satan has worked in, and it's time for you to just start acting based on what God has already said about those things. We're going to stand together and respond as you feel compelled. If you're not a Christian today, you can come down right now and say, Pastor, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Let's stand together and respond. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee, surrender your all today, wherever he leads I'll go. Good to worship Jesus today, amen? Uh, read your bullets and pay attention to all the announcements. Uh, starting next Sunday, we've got some, some special Christmas things that are going on. Sunday night, we've got the, uh, the Christmas extravaganza. We were looking for something to call it in the office, and musical just wasn't enough. And so, uh, so we said we're going to call it an extravaganza because that just sounds extravagant. And so, uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and that'll be next Sunday night. And then uh, the following Sunday will be our Christmas Eve candlelight service, and so we hope you'll be able to be here for that as well.
uh, some Awana leaders uh, get here early tonight would be would be Awana leaders right after church right now when I say amen find Alexa and go right now so all right uh, Daniel Power you mind dismissing us in prayer please let's pray together Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, another beautiful day you've given us to come here and worship you, Lord. I thank you for the, the message you gave to Brian to, to give today uh, about faith, Lord. Um, let us all use our uh, the armor that you've given us. Um, be with us as we go through this week. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.